Thanks for being cool with us taking a little holiday break. You guys, we did this bonus chaser for the Patreon, and now we want to share it with you. If you still want more, go check us out on Patreon, www.patreon.com svupod. Become a patron and get all kinds of bonus content. But we'll be back on January 4th with all new episodes. Hope you like it. Love you. Bye. What? I didn't even... I'm excited. (laughs) Sorry, I came at that so hard and then it went backwards. (laughs) It should have... It's bonus chaser time. This is from the beginning of season two. Okay, the episode is called Taken. And (gasps) it was one of our favorites of the season. Mm -hmm. It was about when that family of grifters... Yes. Tried to sue that hotel. That was She's a like, good one. Would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you pesky kids and your <laughs> dog or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you meddling children <laughs> and your puppies. <laughs> your puppies. So this is the one that I had originally done. And then I read further. I need to just stop reading when I'm reading shit. But because um, I'm just never done with something. I need to stop reading when I'm reading shit. Okay, cool. Anyway, you know. You just just shut your mouth when you're talking to me. (laughs) (laughs) So after I had written this whole thing, I was like, oh, wait, this episode is fully based on this thing that this woman did at Disney. Mm -hmm. So then I rewrote it and we recorded that one and we put that out with it. But I kept this and I was like, maybe I'll use it in the future. So here we go. Bonus chaser. This story is about Sante and Kenny Kimes. Sante was born on July 24th, 1934. Her father was a laborer and the Dust Bowl was in full force. She and her siblings were constantly scouring for food. And when Sante was 10, her dad died. Mm -hmm. So her mom moved the family to L.A. where she, Sante's mom, spiraled into alcoholism and was trying to make money as a sex worker. Like there was no, Mm -hmm. she was doing because it was her only option. Mm -hmm. At this point, Sante and her three siblings were basically street kids begging and stealing to survive. At 11, she was caught again stealing from a soda shop owned by Kelly Seligman. Mm -hmm. He and his wife Dottie made her promise to stop stealing from them when he caught her that time. And in exchange, they would feed her a hot meal every day because they liked her and they felt bad for her. I mean, she was like a regular and they understood and knew what her story was. So Mm -hmm. then Dottie set Sante up to be adopted by her sister, Mary Chambers. Sante's mom didn't even fight it. Like this is the kind of situation that she was in, that her mom didn't even fight it. She was dealing with her own intense shit. Mm -hmm. In 1946, Sante moved to Carson City, Nevada, to live with her adoptive parents, Mary and Edwin. She was 12. Mm -hmm. Sante said that it was the most important thing that had ever happened to her. They were kind and she moved into their home, had her own room, no food insecurities, clean, nice clothing, all of the basics that weren't afforded to her in the first 12 years of her life. Mm -hmm. But then Sante was picked up for shoplifting at 16. Which isn't bananas. Like, a lot of 16-year-olds are like, I'm going to try this out. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily say much at this time. But she had also stolen Edwin's credit card and charged the shit out of it. So Mary and Edwin asked her to move out after she graduated high school. Mm -hmm. She agreed, but then she also told Mary that Edwin had been sexually abusing her since she was 13. Oh, my God. And Sante would later say that she didn't know how to explain it because she liked him so much but didn't like what he was doing, which is not an uncommon Mm -hmm. story. It's like you can't explain it because you were groomed, you know? Yeah. 
and you don't have any experience like really any other you know what i mean like if yeah. you it's so mind fucky like i don't uh, yeah I can't imagine to feel very close in a loving relationship with somebody and then have them do that and be like this. And not even knowing that it's necessarily wrong because you don't know. Mm -hmm. But like it feels weird and and you can't articulate it because you don't fucking know anything else. And also it feels good. And then it's mm-hmm. like that's that in itself is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's shame and there's oh, my God. So the story that she told Mary was never substantiated. But like we always say, we lean into believing victims first. Mm-hmm. And it's also never been proven that it didn't happen. So right. just that to be just put a little point at the end of that. Mm-hmm. So after high school, after she moves out of her adoptive parents home, she goes on to have a three month marriage, bops around for a while, making money with cons and sex work. Mm-hmm. One of her grifts that I couldn't help but kind of love was when she was arrested for grand theft in LA in 1965 and Mm -hmm. then auto theft a few days later in Norwalk, California. Mm -hmm. A former lawyer of Sante's tells it perfectly. Quote, let me tell you the story of the car theft. Sante walked into a Cadillac dealership and conned the salesman into letting her test drive a convertible, alone of course. And of course she never came back and drove the car for months as if she owned it. When the police caught up with her, she told them she had been given the car to test drive and that's what she was doing, still test driving it. Oh my God. The best details of that are that she showed up decked out looking like a rich bitch. Plus like facial feature wise, she looked just like Elizabeth Taylor and just okay. used that to her advantage. Yeah. So she I don't had to like, convince- I uh, don't want to glamorize like bank robberies or car theft, but like, yeah, it's bucket list shit for me. Like, <laughs> I know I don't either like. I know because there are there are victims and people get traumatized by like, yeah, but like she went in and just fully owned this role and was like, I'm going to drive this fucking I don't remember what kind of car it was, but she ended up convincing this dude that it was necessary for her because it was standard practice. He's like, I have to be with you. You can't just take the car. And she's like, oh, in her furs and whatever. And she's like, I need to drive it by myself for performance purposes. If you're riding with me, how will I know how it handles when it's me on the road by myself? Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay, rich lady. Mm-hmm. And so he just lets her go. And she's like, <laughs> and the cops find right. her three months later. Yeah. You know, especially when it's like a woman. I'm just like, I give you a little more wiggle room because yeah, there's something, you know, just to, it's, there's something to that. Like all women should have their own apartment by themselves at least once and like steal a car you know? or get away with some harmless crime. Something. So in 1957, Sante is 23 and gets married to Edward Walker. They had attended high school together. He owned a construction business with his dad. They were upper middle class living in Sacramento. Edward later said that Sante was super paranoid about money, squirreling cash, pushing him to ask for advancements and raises. She even got him to go back to school to become an architect so he could cut out the middleman of his business and make more money. Hmm. All of this is straight out of the I grew up super poor textbook. Yeah. Like my grandpa grew up poor and he buried coffee cans of money all over his property. Mm -hmm. So Sante and Edward became more and more successful, but Sante still couldn't get past some of her habits. She stole credit cards, shoplifted and regularly dined and dashed. Mm-hmm. She claimed to her husband that she did it to save money. During this time, she was also committing forgery and fraud 
mainly against her husband. <laughs> so she had his signature down. She quietly and methodically stole from their account and over time built herself a nice little nest egg. In 1967, Sante filed for divorce. Mm -hmm. Edwards says that she even forged his signature on an alimony agreement paying her $1,400 a month. Today's money, that's over $10,000. I really, really like her. <laughs> I know. That's she's awful though. No, no, no. You're not going to yeah. like her. You're not going to like her. Okay. But I mean, she's living this existence in a way that it's like, you need to get a better job so that I can quietly steal from you for years, <laughs> leave you and take more from you once I'm done. So this $1,400 a month, they go before a judge. The judge cuts it in half, which is still a lot. That's still like five grand. Mm -hmm. a month yeah today's money five grand and she's got god knows how much fucking buried in Squirreled her backyard away. of yeah eddie's money in 1969 sante is 35 years old and she reads an article in millionaire magazine about this 6-2 hottie patati rich ass recently divorced 53 year old dude kenneth kime okay mm -hmm. and she's like oh, that's mine <laughs> kenneth was living and working in palm springs california at the time so sante up and moves to the desert. She first starts hanging out with his outer circle, moving her degrees of separation closer and closer to him until she gets close enough to request a business meeting with him personally. So she's going to act like a potential client, okay? Oh, God. Sante had studied Kenneth, so she knew how to manipulate the situation. She made sure that Kenneth's sister and business partner, Hannah, was at the meeting so he'd be more relaxed, mm -hmm. therefore more willing to get personal, which really allowed for Sante to shine. Mm -hmm. Okay. She was a very charming person, if you couldn't tell already. Yeah. By the end of the meeting, Hannah loved her and Sante and Kenneth decided they wanted to hang out again. Mm -hmm. She dove in even more, finding out the details of this man from his friends and family, all of his favorite things. Hannah told her his favorite flowers were gardenias. She went and bought a freaking case of gardenia perfume. Mm -hmm. She stroked his ego super hard and bulldogged for him to other people. He was more of a passive person in like personal relationships and she was mm -hmm. like Mah. you know yeah she was a fucking i don't like the term pitbull um because pitbulls aren't like that but she was a fucking one of those dogs from ghostbusters that's like haunted that goes after dude and when susan sarandon's like possessed anyway susan sarandon no <laughs> Who, Who, what's her name who's that redheaded bitch and fucking <laughs> avatar ghostbusters and aliens avatar and Fuck, what is her name? Regis. Nope, nope. <laughs> it's not Regis yeah. Philbin. I almost <laughs> just, uh, Regis Philbin. What the fuck is her name? I know we all know her I'm gonna name. Be, I'm going to be so pissed. It's Ripley from Aliens. I can't, I, I can know, I know that name. Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver! I didn't even have to look it up. I was trying to and I fucking I remembered. I know when you said Regis, I was like, I know what you're doing. Like you're yeah. finding a unique name the, in your brain. G, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Anyway. So all of this stuff that she was doing was a slow but consistent transition into her pretty much running his life. She eventually controlled where he went, who he talked to. She was just a queen of manipulation. Mm -hmm. A few years later, although by all accounts there was no marriage and Kenneth wasn't particularly down with it, Sante mm -hmm. started going by Sante Kynes and assumed the role of Kenneth's wife. And she felt it was necessary to wear a 10-carat diamond ring. Okay. Kenneth would try to break up with her, but she'd always get back in with pregnancy scares and suicide threats. And, you know, she just really had this guy manipulated mm -hmm. and in an abusive situation, mm -hmm. you know, a mentally and emotionally abusive situation. Do you still like like her game 
<laughs> no. Just kidding. I would have liked her too. <laughs> yeah. I liked her at first too. Okay. 1973, America's Bicentennial was coming up. Sante got Kenneth to create this promo poster, The Forum of Man. It was a poster of all the flags to have ever repped the U.S. and all the state flags. It doesn't matter what was on it. It was just like important to how this got started. Mm -hmm. Sante convinced Kenneth that it was the most amazing thing ever and that they were going to sell posters in bulk to the U.S. government to put up in every classroom across the country. Now I remember. The 70s were different. So like I hear it and I'm like, just send a fucking PDF. I don't know. Um, <laughs> she wrote to the official Bicentennial Committee not to sell them the idea of the poster, like she claimed, just to get a response. This mm -hmm. is how she got their letterhead and signature, you know, to mm -hmm. freely conduct official business. Mm -hmm. She also took the stationery's logo and made her husband business cards with the title, the Honorary Bicentennial Ambassador of the United States, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as if he was appointed that title by the official committee. Right. It's unclear if Kenneth knew all of the forgery going on or any of the forgery going on. Mm -hmm. Then Sante turned around and wrote to the committee using the stationery she had made, posing as the person who had responded to her initial letter. But this letter was to instruct the committee to arrange a pinning ceremony to make her husband's ambassador title official. Mm -hmm. Do wow. you, these these yeah. plates? I mean, she's a fucking mastermind, right? Mm -hmm. They did it. Oh, Jesus. With this, she was able to gain a meeting with USPS about hanging the posters across the country. Also, she was able to get him speaking at the Rose Bowl Festival about patriotism with First Lady Patricia Nixon. Jesus. Yeah. All right. February 26, 1974. Now, mm -hmm. Santi and Kenneth crashed four black tie parties around the White House, including one that President Ford was hosting. They were quietly escorted out of each party, but not before Sante was able to gush to people about the forum of man. She even got on the mic and made a fucking speech. <laughs> so they made a big impression because <sighs> the next day the headlines read the biggest crash since 1929. Oh, geez. This is what prompted the FBI to get the Kimeses on their radar. Okay. Mm -hmm. The Griffs continued false insurance claims. There's a million stories attached to Sante Kimes and different Griffs that she pulled. The big connection was not with her and her husband, but with her and her son. Okay. On March 24th, 1975, when Sante was 41, Kenneth Kareem Kimes, known as Kenny, was born. I know his initials are KKK. We're just going to move on oh, right past shit. that. I didn't, I didn't even yep. catch it, but yeah. Nope. I just did because I'm looking at it. And I'm going, ooh. April 1976. Sante and Kenneth moved with Kenny Jr. to Hawaii. They were dodging some insurance fraud issues. Insurance investigators tried to depose Kenneth's mother and aunt, Alice and Naoma. But before they could get deposed, Sante's like, hey, we're going to move you to Hawaii, okay? Mm -hmm. These women are like... Ooh, they yeah. go there and they basically become prisoners of Sante. They weren't allowed to speak to anyone, have access mm -hmm. to phones or write letters. Sante allowed them to go to church and that was it. This went on for yeah. months until they were able to make contact with a family member in California through a church friend and escaped back to the mainland. Mm. And the family was shocked when they saw them. They were emaciated and showed signs of physical abuse. What the fuck? Warning. Okay, this is jarring. Skip ahead if you don't want to hear something completely fucked up. When examined at a hospital, a doctor found that Alice's vagina had been sewn shut with black thread. <gasps> what? That seems like a major leap. Like, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. She, well, I mean, she, her need for control was this intense, if that tells you anything. <laughs> is Alice her mother in law? Yeah. 
And Naoma is her husband's aunt. Okay. Santi and Kenneth had houses in Vegas, Cancun, La Jolla, Palm Springs, and Honolulu. All of these homes had a staff of undocumented immigrants that she held as slaves. Mm-hmm. She promised all of them a great job, payment under the table, etc. They literally had deadbolts on the outsides of their doors. These women lived in absolute fear of her and experienced some of the worst physical abuse. Sante punished one girl by putting her in a scalding shower, burned one with a hot iron, and beat another until she passed out. What the and fuck? And little Kenny, her son, witnessed all all of this oh my god so he's fucked up oh yeah and he her son kenny was her ultimate prisoner he couldn't go to school or have playmates can you imagine having that psycho as your mother no i mean if she was going to have control over anybody it was going to be her you know little person in 1985 after sante had been convicted of stealing a five thousand dollar mink coat but was able to skip out on the conviction through loopholes, she was picked up on the charge of slavery. Witnesses and survivors had testified against her. Kenneth got a lesser charge for being a party to it and ended up paying a fine. Sante received a five-year prison sentence for slavery and human trafficking across state lines. Now, all of this came out after her uh, mother-in-law and aunt were able to escape. Side note that I found ridiculous, okay? Sante tried to have her homeowner's insurance cover the $35 million civil suit the maids collectively brought against her. And the company was like, we don't cover slavery. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Jesus. So Sante goes, she goes to prison. Kenny and his father were finally free. So his dad was, you know, it's like, well, how did he get away with like, whatever, how much involvement did he have? He was self-medicating like pretty hard. Just checked out. I can't get away. So this is my life. Yeah. And I mean, being a passive guy, I know we don't give a whole lot of passes to dudes, but it sounds like a familiar situation for somebody in a pretty um, like traumatic, abusive situation, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, men for sure get abused too. And I I know we're not like we don't we don't sympathize with dudes a whole lot well and like just in our in the world it's like we don't Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of resources for men who are right being abused i mean there's like even the shelters for like battered men or like whatever are almost non-existent because you know guys are supposed to be tough and strong and blah 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 Mm -hmm. it's like i was just gonna say yeah the expectation that men can't be abused or sexually assaulted or Mm -hmm. whatever are it's pretty gross and i know i know we give dudes a lot of shit but like that's what i mean like we talk a lot of shit and we give dudes a lot of shit but like the way we raise our dudes is fucked up oh i know it seems like it's changing but we'll see in my fucking house it is mm-hmm. as much as i can have control over it so here we are okay you sounded Sante- like that lady from legally blonde what when you said that in my fucking house it is you sounded in like my a- fucking house it is jennifer coolidge yeah <laughs> oh you brought I'm your laughing cup no i've been i've been keeping a lid on it because i've been (laughs) i've been recording in my bed look at this i got our new fridge makes balls of ice (gasps) balls yeah how i don't Don't jawbreaker that i'm like oh my god it's gonna get stuck in her throat oh no god my teeth will split in half no i mean if it got stuck like the movie jawbreaker where the jawbreaker got stuck in her throat oh okay i thought you didn't want to see my teeth shatter in front of you i also don't want to see that but go ahead Okay, so Sante's off in prison. Kenny and his dad are finally free. Mm-hmm. Later on, Kenny would refer to this time as his golden years. During this time, Kenneth came out of his fog as well. He immediately entered a 60-day rehab program. He had spiraled into alcoholism pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Like I had said, he was self-medicating. He then enrolled 10-year-old Kenny in school. This was the first time Kenny had ever been able to go to school. Kenneth had then sold some of his hotels to be able to cut back on work and spend more time with his son. He had a pool put in 
kitchen, a game room, and a theater for Kenny to be able to entertain friends, and he encouraged him to make some. Yeah. Kenny became popular at school, thriving and loving his freedom. I read conflicting things about Sante's stint, but she was released between year three and four of her sentence. Mm -hmm. Kenny was stunned and upset. He didn't want her coming home. Mm -hmm. And for good reason. Yeah. She pulled Kenny from school and moved him away from his friends. They relocated oh, to the San Diego property. He wrote desperate letters to friends. He even sent one money asking them to hire someone to kill her. Oh, my God. Kenneth started drinking again, and things went back to their fucked up normal. Oh, my God. I hate that. In 1990, instead of selling her Honolulu home, Sante paid an acquaintance $3,000 to burn it to the ground so she could collect the insurance money. That acquaintance was Edgar Holmgren. Okay? Okay. By 91, police had caught up with him and convinced him to wear a wire to set up Sante. They had been tailing her for years, but she was a con woman. So she was able to like get away with quite a bit of shit. If she wouldn't have been keeping people as slaves, she would have never gone to prison. Yeah. So before they could get this guy to wear a wire, Edgar and Sante had had this trip plan that they were going to go on. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, I'm just going to go ahead and do this because backing out of it would seem really weird. So I'm just going to go. Mm -hmm. He was never seen again. Mm -hmm. Her husband? No, oh, no. I mean, the Edgar guy. The, yeah. yeah. Edgar Holmgren. He disappeared. Mm -hmm. Okay. In 1994, as he waited for Sante in her car in the parking lot of a Wells Fargo bank, Kenneth Kimes died of an aneurysm. Whoa. Sante had him cremated. Kenny was in his freshman year at UCSB, and she didn't tell him that his dad died until she picked him up from the airport for summer break. What the fuck? Yeah. She's a fucking psycho. Psycho. She shows up at the airport. He's like, hi, mom, where's dad? And she showed him the urn in the backseat of the car and goes, he's right there. Scam time. Okay. She gave misinformation to the coroner to delay the processing on Kenneth's death certificate. She did this so she could move around and liquidate assets as to not have to give it to his other family, i.e. her stepkids. He mm. had a son and daughter from his first marriage. She is that stepmom. Mm -hmm. Since they were never legally married, she wasn't entitled to anything. And it said as much in his will. Like yeah. he wrote, he's like, she doesn't get shit. It's the only time I have power is when I'm dead. Yeah. So during this time when she's like pretending he's still alive, people would call or try to get in touch with him and she would make up a story. One of the stories I read was that he had gone to Japan to build a motel. Sante didn't want to share Kenneth's fortune with anyone. So she got an old associate of Ken's. Meet David Kasdan. Kasdan helped her create false documents to put some of the Kimes real estate in his name. Really, he's just kind of holding on to it for a cut after it's not deemed an assets of Ken's anymore. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. But Sante, of course, started pulling shit on David, too. She would take out second mortgages on the properties, which once David found out, he was pissed. So because it was in his name, she's taking out these mortgages. He's in the red for millions now. Yeah. And he was doing this to, like, help her and get a cut. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately oh, to help himself. But yeah, she's like, yeah. she conned him. She's like, do this thing for me and I'll give you a cut of my profits or whatever. And yeah. He's like, ooh, easy money. Okay. And she's like, <laughs> but I'm a piece of shit. So yeah. So he goes to Sante and he's like, I'm gonna go to the cops and tell him everything. Like, you can't fuck me over. Mm -hmm. His body was found shot in the face Jesus. in a dumpster outside of the LA airport in March of 1998. Fucking A. 
Ken also had bank accounts in the Bahamas and the Caymans. Asante had started forging checks to get the money out of those accounts. Okay. okay. And there was a Bohemian banker, Bilal Ahmed, that was said to have caught her. There was a meeting set between he and Sante at Cable Beach Hotel one evening. He's been missing ever since. So... My guess is, is that he confronted her and just like anybody else who had ever confronted her or threatened to expose her. She was like, bye. Yeah. Boop. At this point, her son, Kenny, had dropped out of college and is going across the country fucking thrill conning people with his mom. He didn't stand a chance. She yeah. had trained him and she was all he had. Mm. Shortly after David was killed, Sante and Kenny had purchased a new Lincoln town car with a bad check. That'll come in later, okay? Okay. Sante eventually ended up hearing about Irene Silverman and her $10 million mansion. Okay, let me tell you a little bit about Irene, all right? Okay. Irene moved to New York City as a ballerina in 1933. She danced at Radio City Music Hall and married Samuel Silverman, a real estate mogul. Ah, Sammy Silverman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they had a gorge five-story mansion on the Upper East Side. I mean, that's like insane property in New York. Schmancy town, New York City. After Samuel died, Irene converted the mansion's lower three floors into luxury apartments and kept the top two floors for herself. She had a good relationship with her tenants, and it was really hard to get into one of Irene's apartments because a personal connection was pretty necessary for Irene to rent to someone. Mm -hmm. One day she gets a call from Ava Guerrero. Her boss, Manny Guerin, needed to rent from her while he was in the city on business. Ava told Irene that she had heard about Irene's property from a mutual friend, Rudy Vacari. Irene had known Rudy for 40 years. So because of this connection, Irene felt comfortable with renting to this new tenant. Mm -hmm. Manny would be able to move in for the time that he needed. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, when Irene called to check the reference, Rudy was out of town on vacation. Too bad. Yeah. And especially too bad since Ava was actually Sante and Manny was Kenny. Yeah. June 15th of 1998, Kenny moved in. Irene immediately didn't like him. She was Mm -hmm. so skeptical of him that she drew sketches of Manny and Ava. She even kept a journal of every interaction she had with him. Mm. On the night of July 4th, Irene hosted a dinner party with her other tenants. She told them he smelled like jail and acted bizarre. Remember, she's like an Upper East Side rich bitch. So like, yeah, he smells of jail Mm -hmm. and that he acted bizarrely, avoiding hallway security cameras by like sliding his body against the wall (laughs) and she could still see him in the camera like (laughs) she and other staff could see his shadow under the door watching through the peephole and listening at the door he was just constantly surveilling other people and her right he changed the locks on the apartment which was not okay not allowed Mm -hmm. and there was some weird old lady who was always in and out covering her face as she went yeah fucking his mom okay right she kept pretty solid tabs on them what irene didn't know was that sante and kenny had obtained a copy of the deed to her house and bribed a notary to stamp forged documents deeding the house to a shell corporation in sante's name my god yes just like my god I know. These fucking people. Jesus. It's bananas. Yeah. On the morning of July 5th, itty bitty 82 year old Irene Silverman would go off to her office and as she did, ask the maid to take her boxer George for a walk on the roof garden. Mm -hmm. Irene was never seen again. Around the time Irene was discovered to be missing, Sante was meeting one of her 'er ne'er-do-wells, Gary Gullman. (laughs) How often does he do well? 'er. 'er. (laughs) 'er. 
<laughs> oh, I love him. <sighs> she was meeting this lackey, Samuel Peterson, for drinks in Midtown to go over some plans. He would assume the role as the apartment manager of Irene's estate and begin evicting tenants, change the locks, blah, blah, blah. Okay. We know this because that fucker was wired. Oh, shit. The FBI, NYPD, and LAPD were listening and watching. Turns mm-hmm. out when Kenny killed David Kasdan, he used a gun registered to Samuel Peterson. They flipped mm. him with threats of fucking murder charges. Yeah. So as soon as Sante called him for a meeting, he was like, wire me up, boys. <laughs> <laughs> so later, as the cops watched, Kenny shows up. They all hug. They're like sitting at this lunch meeting, right? Patterson gives the signal and a dozen agents pounce on them. They find a set of keys. Turns out they were Irene's. Those were in Kenny's pocket, along with a bunch of other credit cards and different names and an ID for Manny Guerin. At FBI headquarters, Kenny and his mom were separated to be questioned. In questioning Sante, a cop went through her purse. He found over $10,000 in cash, Irene's passport, bank books, and other documents. They thought that was weird because they were just questioning them about Kasdan. They had Mm -hmm. no idea Irene Silverman was even missing at this point. Right. So this gets messy. Yeah. The cops used Patterson to set up Sante and Kenny for the arrest in the murder of David Kasdan. When questioning the two, they pretend they had brought them in for the car theft. Remember the stolen Lincoln Town car from Utah that Sante Mm -hmm. and Kenny were cruising around in? Yeah. So they found a parking stub in Kenny's pants and they went to the parking garage to get it. And they found the most ridiculous amount of evidence in this car. A fake social security card with Irene Silverman's name on it. A forged deed that approved the transfer of the townhouse to the Shell Corporation in Florida set up by the Kimes. Mm -hmm. A loaded 9mm, a 22 caliber pistol, cassettes of Irene's telephone conversations taken from wiretaps, a bunch of wigs, masks, plastic handcuffs, $30,000 in cash, an empty stun gun box, passports, hypodermic needles, pepper spray, practice forgeries of Irene's signature, brass knuckles, rehydnol. I'm not done. A bunch of fake IDs of Sante and Kenny with a slew of aliases, 15 notebooks detailing plans of crimes and cons, including the grift on Irene, everything dating back five years. Wow. The Irene notebook had a page that literally said, what is Irene's background? Get her social security number. Stun gun. Like a checklist of shit. Jesus. They were like, we need to check on Irene. Like, there's a lot going on here. So they get into Irene's office. They found her Kenny journal where she's just like this fucking weird guy who stinks and whatever. Mm -hmm. Actually, it was probably like really nice penmanship. And she's like, this fucking tenant stinks. (laughs) In this journal, the last entry, Irene had written down that Kenny had popped into her office asking for a copy of a newspaper. Mm -hmm. And he said it didn't even have to be today's newspaper. So obviously he was doing that to see if she was alone, right? Okay. Cut to 2002. A jury would convict Sante and Kenny on 117 counts. Kenny was sentenced to 125 years and Sante to 120. NYPD detective Tom Ryan said it was the first conviction in New York state history without a body or any direct evidence. The presiding judge said of Sante Kimes, Sante Kimes is surely the most degenerate defendant who has ever appeared in this courtroom and her degeneracy has extended 
even to the willful corruption of her own son. Mm. It's clear that Miss Kimes has spent all her life plotting and scheming, exploiting and manipulating, preying on the vulnerable and the gullible at every opportunity. Police Commish Howard Saffer told Larry King, quote, these are two of the most cunning and probably two of the most evil criminals that we've ever dealt with. They are where they should be because if you look at where the Kimes have been, there is either a body or somebody missing. Mm -hmm. Within a week, Sante was reported by her cellmate for trying to convince her to aid in Sante's escape. She was moved to a more secure facility. How old was she by then? Shit, how old was she? She was She was in her 60s. Yeah. She's like, all right, let's uh, make his. She's like, hi, nice to meet you. I'm Sante or whatever I'm telling you my name is. Um, I'm going to need your help. I got to get out of here. And the lady was just like, no, I'm not. I'm calm. I need a good pair of legs and a strong back to go in after it. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) Aladdin. Okay, so. Oh, my God, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, she was. She was in her 60s because it was 2002. Kenny would be 27. She had Kenny when she was 41. So yeah, she was like 68. She continued to try and pull shit until winding up being housed in solitary confinement and losing phone privileges. Court TV was supposed to interview them, but since Sante wasn't able to, Kenny did the interview alone. About halfway through, he lunged at the female journalist, dragging her to the corner of the room with a pen to her throat (gasps) and demanded they get the governor on the phone to stop Sante's transfer to California for David Kasdan, where she faced the death penalty. She's just bopping around getting like, you know, uh, she's got all kinds of charges. Yeah. And they need to try her for all this shit. And he's like, no, she can't go to California because I don't want her to get the death penalty. Four hours later, he's got this pen to this lady's throat. Four hours later, a guard was able to tackle him and release the hostage. Kenny got eight more years for that and spent the immediate four years following the attack in solitary. Wow. So they were both eventually sent back to L.A. to be tried for the murder of David Kasdan. In 2004, Kenny was 29 and hadn't spoken to his mom in four years. He took the plea bargain offered for a confession for the murder of Irene Silverman, David Kasdan, and Sayel Balid Ahmed. Mm -hmm. That Cayman Island bank manager, you know. Mm -hmm. He admitted to killing him and dumping his body in the ocean. Oh, my God. Kenny would also tell the jury that the two had ambushed Irene that morning that he had popped in and asked for the paper. Yeah. Once he saw that she was alone, he had gone back to tell his mom. And that's when they went in because they knew they had a period of time. Her assistant was taking the dog out. Mm -hmm. So they ambushed Irene. Sante zapped her with a 3000 volt stun gun and then told him to, quote, do it. Kenny strangled Irene until she was dead. He then put her into a garbage bag inside of a duffel bag inside of the trunk of that stolen car. Then Kenny disposed of the bag in a trash bin in Hoboken, New Jersey. Jesus. Sante died in her prison cell on May 19th, 2014 at 79 years old. Kenny is still in prison for life and is spending it in San Diego. Wow. The end. Holy shit. Yeah. I'm just looking up um, pictures of... Fucking wild. She does look like fucking Elizabeth Taylor. Holy shit. I know, right? Yeah. Damn. This is crazy. I know. Bubba big old bonus chaser. There's a fucking um, movie. There's a little thing called Murders movie. Oh, yeah. There's all kinds of shit. There's a book called Dead End by uh, Jeannie King. Or Jean. I can never tell. J-E-A-N-N-E. Her son. Poor fucking dude. I mean, honestly, I like, Jesus. I mean, her son didn't have a chance. He didn't. No. Hmm. Oh, he had a good three years of, like, having a normal life. 
this dad yeah. and like friends and the pool and ugh. I know. oh shit. But yeah but then it's like we know all the details of his situation she also had a super fucked up upbringing yeah so it's like how much grace do you give to somebody who's killing people i mean like you can feel bad for how people were brought up but like like you're responsible for your own actions you know what i mean like i know and it's so like oh, at it's some hard point to even you're, say that because like because like i know your mind can be completely fucking twisted to believe that mm-hmm. what you're doing is okay or what you're doing is like necessary I you know. know i mean his mom was all he had she was his island and she made sure that she was all he had yeah and then it's like oh this person's gonna expose my mom oh my god i can't have that yeah and i'm sure she used that to her advantage and reinforced it Mm -hmm. anyway yeah that's it she she looks like john prine when she's older yeah she kind of lost her looks but like i don't want (laughs) to i know but like there's one i'm not i'm not like oh she's pretty or gross or whatever i'm just saying it's stunningly similar to john prine i have to look her up now especially <gasps> i am an old woman i Named am after not... my mother yeah my old man is another <laughs> dreams of thunder lightning was desire so how's what about now long time ago make me <laughs> yeah that's the one Right, that's the old it. rodeo. I love this. And I have chills. I know, me too. I love John Pride. Oh, I saw him once. I know. Didn't you see him at Red Rocks? I saw him at Red Rocks. And you know how, like, the sky is so big out west? Like, I. That sounded so lame. Sky's the sky much bigger. at night is big and bright. <laughs> deep in the heart of Colorado. Um, yeah, it was Red Rocks. That band opened for him. And mm-hmm. uh, when you're in the stands or in the, on the seats or whatever at Red Rocks, yeah. the stage, you like behind it, you can see Denver and all the lights and stuff. But there was a mm-hmm. storm over Denver. So yeah. John Prine was like playing and there was like all this lightning and shit in the background. I was like, I remember when you said you guys were going to go to that show and I was like, do I just fly out there? Do I? Oh. Yeah. I got free tickets to a show here, but I was like not feeling good. I was like, I just don't yeah. want to go. I remember that too, because then you were like, I saw him at fucking Red Rocks. Like, I'm good. And then he died after that. And I kind of was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was old man. All right. All right. Well, that was a long ass. Yeah. Thanks for that. That was good. I, I started to kind of remember some of it when you. Yeah. I, I forgot a bunch of it. I'm reading it. I'm like, holy shit. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bonus chaser. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye.